and welcome to a new episode of a football podcast with myself, Christian Jack and Stephen Caldwell. Today we chat about Manchester United against Paris Saint-Germain, Pogba's red card, Spurs' 3-0 annihilation. That's right, producer Sean Kay, annihilation didn't believe in of Dortmund. Oh, said. we're not. We're going to get to that. Real Madrid in Amsterdam, Toronto FC's chances in the Champions League. And of course, this is the Whitecaps week. We have a very good interview with new head, head coach Mark Dos Santos and a special hashtag Ask AFP dedicated to your Vancouver Whitecaps. Before we get to all of that, though, uh, and to our Champions League matches where we're going to go in-depth, the UEFA Champions League games, we have a contest currently happening on Twitter. We are giving away a 2019 brand new Toronto FC kit to a lucky follower. Here's what you have to do. It's not that hard, guys. Head over to Pod, follow us, like, and retweet the pin tweet for your chance to win. Thanks to the people of TFC Marketing for the gear, and best of luck to you all. Mr. Colwell, been a good big week for football. You are the new president of the Oakville Blue Devils. <laughs> yes. Congratulations on that one. Thank you very much. By the way, on the release, it has to be said, the picture that they put of you, you look you look well hard on that. I like, look hard, do you I? You look hard, like, and in a good way, like tough. The one with the scarf, you no, mean? No, 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 no. The grand, oh, the what? The, yeah, the, the, the side it was a good job, that, wasn't it? You look like, I was like, I won't mess with him. No, we have to thank. Like, you look like... You, Pro, look like, tough, like you know, like the the the, the I look chiseled, chiseled, the you chiseled mean, yeah. chin. I look fit. This is what we're getting to here <laughs> instead of fat. No, yes, I am certainly not going to be in a position to talk about that. I was basically talking about how hard you look. Like you look like you're. <laughs> Thank you, mate. You're going to like knock someone out. I no, appreciate pro- that. Probably um, Baldemir Toledo at the time. That's probably who you're going to knock yeah, out. Yeah, I think that was one of the games he was refereeing, <laughs> yeah. man, probably screaming you, in his face. That, that just that that really annoyed look on your face has often <laughs> led to Baldemir Toledo. Uh, we hinted at it at the opening. Uh, producer Sean Case, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, we won't bother putting in any clips from the last one because we know all of you listened to it where <laughs> Sean was um, pessimistic is the word. I think negative, a very negative Nelly, no question yeah. about it's Tottenham's chances against Dortmund. Uh, we and me and you, if not for the first time, we're on the same page. We thought Spurs had a chance, didn't we? We did, yeah. Very much a chance. And lo and behold, Sean, Tottenham three, Borussia Dortmund nil. Your thoughts? Come on. It's not over yet. I oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I could just. What I just, is this guy I've saying? Just set him up. It's obvious. I uh, know. It's so. I said to him before we came on. I'm like, Ty's done. Well, I don't know. It's like you, you, there you, needs to be a goal in Dortmund, and then everything. You'll smooth score sailing. in Dortmund. I agree. Yeah. I think Harry will be back. The team will be a bit healthier. It was a great game today. It was incredible. Vertonghen was great on the left. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things. You go in the first 15, 20 minutes. It was a little shaky. Fourth. It was like it was you, tough. It was yeah. tough for him. But this is the this is this is a Spurs fan who's been a Tottenham fan for a long time. There are new Tottenham fans every day being born <laughs> that think they're amazing, yeah. and this is what they're becoming. But we know Shawnee; he's been with this club for a long yeah. time, and that's what happens with Tottenham of old. But the reason why I bring that up is this is not Tottenham of old. No, this is Tottenham of now. This is Mauricio yeah. Pochettino's team, an outstanding again team performance where even Foyt who was shaky early but developed into the game I thought um, tactically again spot on playing with the back five Ericsson was marvelous we could go on and on and on yeah but again a significant reference point in a big game for them to deliver um, and, and by the way they beat the Bundesliga leaders this is a, a, a formidable outfit that they made to look very ordinary yeah a, a team who are five points clear in the That's Bundesliga right. KJ they've been been dominant all season and uh, they came against a, a fantastic Spurs side on the evening. I, I thought they were terrific. 
Foyth was taking a wee bit too many chances in the early stages. And in fairness, Dortmund had a great first half, didn't they? Mm. Jaden Sancho, we'll get to him more in a minute, but terrific first half. Looked really dangerous. Tactically, Spurs were maybe a little bit off. I thought that the, the wing-backs were too high too early and leaving some space yeah, in the Pulisic wide areas. Almost scored Pulisic that, yeah. had a big opportunity. He should have squared that across to Jaden Sancho. had got a march on, on his marker and would have just tapped into the net. A little bit greedy. Touch disappointed in Christian Pulisic I was. I thought he was, uh, he, he was a wee bit disappointing on that left-hand side, but Sancho was tremendous uh, playing without a striker of course because of Royce's injury got so couldn't get in the game was ineffective but the way that Dortmund played some of the passing ability of the side the way they get out of little areas with their triangles and and, and quality of play I thought was, was lovely to watch in the first half getting at half time a little bit fortunate not to concede a goal a couple of tweaks by the man himself mm -hmm. Mauricio Pochettino what a manager I thought what he did was amazing Full uh, wing back, sorry, right in five at the back, no space for any of the wide players to move. The minute Spurs win the ball back, ask the wing backs to go high really quickly. Don't even think about trying to get on the ball, just make a run forward, clear the space. Ask the two young, young, young wingers if they want to run back the other way. Yeah, unfortunately for Dortmund, they didn't really want to run back the other way or they didn't have the energy to do it. Ineffective in the second half, and particularly Vertonghen on that left hand side, absolutely dominant. And they, they changed the game, didn't they? They made it a bit more physical, a bit more about experience and know how, and a young, exciting vibrant dormant side who are going to come back they're, they're going to be great they've got some terrific players but were found wanting a little bit naive in the second half and, and the level of what it takes to kind of progress from the last 16 in the Champions League was shown by a, a very experienced Tottenham Hotspur side Yeah I'm glad you used the word experience because I thought it was an example of a year a team a year ahead of the other team yeah. and what I mean by that is that last year and Christian Eriksen has spoken about this quite often when asked about it last year Tottenham were that team that you knew were exciting but in the end got found out by Juventus Juventus just had that extra control and game management they were able to see it out even though Serge Aurier made a ridiculous decision to give away a penalty in that game yeah. and it kind of cost them the first leg but um, my point being is this time when Tottenham scored and and Son scored after 65 seconds of that second of that of, of, in the second half when they score there's an assurance about Spurs now and we've seen it quite often in the Premier League too is sometimes it can take some time for them to get that lead yeah. but they don't care about that there's a patience a, a, a about them and when they've got that lead and I think now that's 11 out of 12 goals in the Champions League have been scored in the second half when they've got that lead you think Okay, then they're, they're not only content with this, but they 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 control the game and they believe they can go on and, and get more, and that's what they did. And I, I felt that they learned from last year a little bit to see the game out, and then in the end, it was Dortmund who were left to be that naive. That word that I would have used with Spurs a year yeah. ago. Yeah, I I think that their fitness levels are underrated. KJ, yeah. the way that they come strong in second halves is all about the energy that they have as a team, and I, I think the toughness and the fitness to just keep going and grinding away is underrated in this Tottenham Hotspur side. I, I really think they're tremendous at it and I, I loved Winks' performance again. Thought he was everywhere. Sissoko was everywhere. And Talk about I, fitness. Sissoko was different level. Sissoko was everywhere, wasn't yeah. he? He was. He was in the middle of the park. He, he was dominant, kind of in the base of the midfield as he as he is. But making the runs into the channels, creating that extra support, holding the ball up strong when he gets into channels as well, not allowing to be dispossessed and, and, and you know and cough the ball up and then having to run back to defend. He was he was brilliant on the day again. Harry Winks is a player that gets better every time I see him. Mm. Uh, some uh, pun 
pundits in the UK criticising him for maybe playing it square and back a bit too often. Don't agree with them. I think that, yes, he's always going to be that safety. He's in a position where he sort of has to be safe. But I do think his ability to, to run forward with the ball and take it into the next line is underrated. It's, it's getting better. His decision-making is getting better. And I think he passed it forward uh, you know, more consistently than he did in the early stages of his career. So I loved him again. And I, I did like how Pochettino again... I thought he gave Ericsson was high in the early stages and it wasn't really working, was it? Uh, to be to be fair, Witzel and uh, Delaney were in good areas yeah. and they were blocking his space where he likes to work between the lines. Some of that Spurs are terrific at. No space between the lines in the sort of middle to last third. So what does Ericsson do? Comes deeper, deeper starts again. to become a playmaker, goes wherever he wants. He sort of got a free role and, and that must have been down to the manager to say, okay, you're the key here. You are actually the one bit of quality in this match that will open things up. And give, giving him that three role was vitally important. And uh, it has to be said, Pochettino just comes up with the answers whenever it matters. And that calmness on the side, there's never a panic. It comes through in his team. They don't panic now. They're steely. They're determined. They can win ugly as well as winning a beautiful football. It was ugly in the first half. They hung in the game and then they played their scintillating stuff in the second. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Winks. I mean, um, Declan Rice and Harry Winks are going to look great in the Euro 2020 winning team at oh, Wembley no. on that day. So sorry, Ireland fans, but uh, 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 shout out to, to New England international Declan Rice for the next 15 years. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to mention Ericsson before we get on to United PSG. Because I would say it's probably three years ago now, but when Tottenham was starting to mount this challenge to become a contender, a consistent contender, Christian Eriksen was targeted by some Tottenham fans at the time as going, that's the player we need to get better at. If we want to be a top-class team, we're okay with Vertonghen and Alderweireld. We're happy there. At the time, they were delighted with Wanyama and Dembele. They had Harry Kane going up front. This is the player we need to become world-class. We need to get better than Eriksen. Well, they didn't get better than Ericsson. Ericsson just got better. Yeah. And Ericsson's a genuine world class. Genuine world class yeah. talent. And you talk about the deep line playmaker position. He just goes and gets the ball and wants it. And you know, I was doing the games for, for Sirius and on, on the other the other game I'm watching, we're going to get to Madrid in a minute. There's a player at Madrid called Isco right now who a year ago I would have said was better than Ericsson. Yeah. But has, has, has gone downhill because he isn't able to adapt. And Ericsson has adapted yeah. as a player. And we're in a modern day era now where we've talked about this before, where number 10s like Philip Coutinho, Mesut Ozil, Hamas Rodriguez, Isco are falling by the wayside because they're not willing to put the work in without the ball. And Pochettino can trust Ericsson. He can trust him in a two in a midfield against some inferior yeah. position in Premier League. He can certainly trust him in a three. He can sometimes play higher. He's played out wide on the left and in a higher than three. He's become an, a complete all-around player who could get in any team in the world. Yeah, right? I agree. And that's how good he is. You've got to go and grab the ball, haven't you? You can't afford to just stay in that little zone of yours. And if you're not finding the space, you're ineffective and nobody can get the ball to you. You know, an Ozil or, or an score, they don't go and find it, you know, mm. whereas Ericsson's now... He's a quarterback, he's a man in this team, he knows he's important, so he's going to find the ball into deeper areas as well. If there's space there, of course, he'll, he'll find the little pockets and he'll he'll get it. But I love how he doesn't wait in that happening anymore. I, I do think he's grabbing games by the scruff of the neck and saying, I'm the man, he's got the confidence, I'm going to lead my team to, to victory here. And uh, I, Again, I just see that that toughness in him as well. Mm. I think he's got a lot tougher as a player. The, the, the ability's always been undoubted, in my opinion, but... He's, his ability to affect the game now consistently 
is world class and that's why he's going to be in the radar of everybody mm. in the world they, they want that guy they want that player who can pretty much play anywhere he ends up in wide areas he looks comfortable he's a great finisher when he gets into the, the sort of 18-20 yard position he, he finds the corners with both feet but now he can go and roam pick it up in deeper areas and play the balls over the top that are, that are so needed to a player like Lucas Mora or, or, or Son never goes missing in a game no. Never goes missing. You no. never we never watch a game and go, that was too big for him. Yeah. I've not seen one for a long time. And that's a clear indication. Yeah. I'm um, talking about games that maybe were a bit too big. Manchester United, no PSG two. Oligon Solskjaer's first loss as Manchester United manager. Oligon Solskjaer said after the game that they hadn't really faced opposition like that. It was quite a some of his interviews after the game I thought were very typical Oligon Solskjaer, but very honest. Yeah. Um and we you and I, it's the first time we've talked about this since the game. Um overall your thoughts. I know there's a lot to get into, but particularly the second half, did you subscribe to the theory that the injuries for United losing both Lingard and Martial significantly um, the, the, cost them or would you have expected PSG to win anyway? Uh, I expected PSG to win anyway with the way that the game was going. Mm. It, it definitely affected them. I, I think uh, uh, weakened their team. Uh, Sanchez was absolutely awful. We, we can get into that a wee bit more in a minute, but um, Mata doesn't really have the energy of the legs of Lingard. So so they were weakened by the two players going off. But this was a game that I, I thought PSG showed Manchester United too much respect in the early stages. They right. sat off them. I think they were a little bit concerned with the recent form and being at Old Trafford, knowing the stadium was going to be buzzing. They sat off them a little bit. It was a tentative game between two sides and about 30, 35 minutes. I think they looked at each other or Tuchel gave word on to the pitch to say, this is here for the taking. We can go for the throats of this team. Mm -hmm. And then when they ramped it up and they went up a gear or two, they were completely dominant. They were better in every area of the park. Where did I start? Uh, Marquinhos was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, Snuffed Paul about the game, but more than that, it wasn't just standing on Paul Pogba. He was everywhere, breaking things up, winning headers, playing passes, playing forward passes, starting attacks. Uh, the, the Old Trafford crowd and, and the ridiculous Ashley Young challenge which he should have been sent off you for think, by the yeah. way it's disgusting he knows what he's doing he knows what he's doing there and it's so dangerous and, and I've played at Old Trafford so the way that the pitch goes is it goes down and you have that little brick wall it is very dangerous I've seen crazy. rugby players get hurt there by the way with, I don't with like that it. kind of stuff as someone well. needs to be looked at with that pitch because right. You have the the sort of slope of the grass, and then you have you know that little bit of wall, and then you have the the kind of track, and and obviously the the railings that uh, Angel Di Maria went right into. It's and quite unusual because the pitch is actually raised. Yeah, isn't it's it? much higher it than is. the kind of ground level. I've been there many times as you have. I've actually sat in a seat uh, in a Premier League game. It was actually uh, Chelsea versus Man United, David Moyes' first home game at United, where I was in row two, right. and you're actually underneath the pitch. <laughs> you got to get a look you up. Do. You look up to the field. It's <laughs> right. It's, it's, yeah. it's bizarre but anyway carry on your point yeah so so he knocked him out and and you know and he pushed him towards the rails I think he was fortunate not to be seriously injured and I, I thought he knew what he was doing it was a little bit naughty and the crowd booing him and stuff just kind of riled him on didn't it yeah. and he gave one of the best performances he's probably gave in a few years he was brilliant um and Bappy was quiet and then he burst into life Thiago Silva was outstanding he was absolutely brilliant in the centre of defence won every header Kempembe looks like a magnificent centre half if we didn't know that already he's, he's going to be at the highest level for 10, 15 so years assured, yeah. oh brilliant yeah. uh, energy as well the pace and, and the legs you know playing uh, comfortable to go into wide areas as well as a centre half just just brilliant and just 
so much better than Man United. Yeah, football lesson, weren't they? They yeah. were given a lesson in all in all areas. Um, I, I was watching it thinking about our discussion in the last podcast where I talked about midfield. And, you know, I was I, I felt it was important. One of the reasons why I brought this up earlier about Solskjaer was if I'm a Manchester United fan, we're not. But if I'm a Manchester United fan, I would want my manager to give a very insightful answer about why that didn't work last night yeah. in that game. And I don't want to come out and blame a card-happy ref or things didn't go our way or the injuries cost us. And he did say that to a little regard. But it, my point being that when he complimented PSG and said, we haven't, we've not played a game at that level before, that for me is an, is an indictment on Manchester United, but it's an opportunity for Manchester United. And I'll tell you why, because if they believe, and it's going to take them a long time, by the way, but if they believe they they should be in the class of PSG and playing at the high level and contending for European Cups, you better go out and buy the right players. Yeah. And so when you lose those kind of games, only those games will tell you who is good enough and who's not. Not playing Burnley or Leicester. It's them. It's them kind of games. They are the opportunities that come your way. And when you watch that game, Nemanja Matic and Ander Herrera aren't good enough yeah. at the highest level. They're good players. Yeah. Actually, young, good player, got a yeah, year, year extension. Okay, I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy and, and good for you. You got another yeah. year extension. You're lucky, but come on. You expect to contend for major titles with him playing right back? You got no chance. Yeah. No chance. So they are the games you got to look at. And in midfield, Marco Verratti had hardly played for a month, you know, and everything you read about Verratti is that, he, you know, he likes a smoke and he likes a booze. He, he played with a cigar in his mouth, mate. <laughs> he did. He might as well have yeah. been on the smoking and boozing in midfield in Manchester. They might as well have been in a nightclub in the middle of Old Trafford. And he's, uh, he's got a cigar in his mouth and he's passing the ball for fun around. It was, it was tremendous. Yes, I thought Marquinhos was even better, but that's where the game was won and lost. They couldn't get the ball. Man United couldn't get the ball. And when they got the ball, they lost it right away because of the shape was there. And in the end, they're just the, the class of PSG to dominate them. And that's, for me, United, they've had a, a good couple of months and everything's been positive and rosy. But that's the that's the barometer for you. Yeah. That's, that, that has to be if you're Manchester United. Well, you have to choose players that can deal with that level. That's like you say, that's the recruitment process and, and what you're looking for. They couldn't cope with the movement of PSG. I thought that... Some of the intricate plays where, where Bernat would come in really central and, and that leave led that. To the second goal. Yeah, yeah, it was it was magnificent. We watched that goal back. It, it was terrific. The pressure on on Pogba gave the ball away, and then the central movement, which which drew Manchester United in really narrow. De Maria smart enough to recognise that stayed wide, and, and and once that ball dissected an entire midfield, not good enough from them, especially when they were narrow and and, and they had the bodies in the middle of the park. They, they all kind of had to come in at that moment to, to uh, be careful of the, the break and it left Di Maria out there wide mm -hmm. and then Mbappe's run is just sensational, isn't it? It looked like he was going to fight the 100 metre gold medal. <laughs> like, just... He starts the sprint before Di Maria gets the ball. Yeah. He does. He starts sprinting at the top of his, of yeah. his capacity before Di Maria looks up and plays the cross. It's outstanding. He knows it? exactly before where he needs to be. And like they talk about 40 yard dashes in the NFL combine or the 100 meter goal. Yeah. It, his run is oh, unbelievable how fast he goes. And I just, I love the telepathy between the players because the minute he starts bursting, Di Maria's like, I know where he wants it. And he just feeds the most sublime ball, ball just yeah. in that area. And then the finish is terrific as well. He, he just sort of open, like lets his ankle go floppy, opens it up and just kind of slots it to the side of uh, De Gea. It was a terrific goal, and, and all because of just the quality of the movement and then obviously the, the, the assist and the finish, the, the movement to create the goal. And, uh, and if you needed any kind of example of what was missing between the sides, 
that was the goal, wasn't mm. it? You just saw the gulf in class. I, I don't think Manchester United could have scored a goal like that against a team of PSG, and it was enormous. And uh, they, they kind of got found out and a little bit embarrassing at home. And I, I think that, you know, we've been very complimentary of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the last few weeks, and, and, and you and I were, were sceptical, to say the least, when he was appointed. And there's no doubt he's got many, many things right since he was given the interim job. But the doubts that we had about him tactically as well, I, I thought they really came out last night, KJ. Did you, yeah. He had no real answers to what was happening. He, he, he sort of got, I thought he got caught a, a little bit like a deer in the headlights. He was just mm. kind of stuck there. And even in the post-match stuff, I wanted him to tell us more why things happen. Now, good players are always going to be inferior players, but you've got to find a way if you are an inferior team to kind of come in, close the shape, come up with little techniques and, and tactics to kind of stop that that mm. flow. And when the flow came and the gears went up in, in PSG, Manchester United had zero answers. He couldn't bring them in. He couldn't uh, stem the flow of attacks. And, of course, after that first goal, to lose the second goal was, was disastrous. It puts him out of the tie. That was a moment where I think he should have been like, OK, come in, be difficult to beat hanging this match because you could see PSG were just rampant at that mm -hmm. moment and then maybe they would have a 10 minute rally at the end they might have got an equaliser playing a different kind of football and they take someone uh, uh, to Paris to maybe try and uh, claw back but at that moment when it went 2-0 it was game over and it could have been more There was a moment in the second half when the ball came out to Marcus Rashford and he was he found himself in a slight one-on-one -on -one situation he's quite wide on the right and in the end he didn't really have the support that he would have had if Lingard and Martial were on the field yeah. if you remember it he had to play it inside to Mata and it slowed it down Mata then gave him the ball back and then he sent a cross in but there was no penalty box reference point at yeah. all because Alexis Sanchez was still on holiday he was hanging out on the oh left hand gosh. side and it was like oh I better get back in there yeah. I mean you've been very critical of the laziness of Lukaku this oh. guy took it to another level yeah, I mean, awful. It, I mean, I didn't criticise Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the time for putting him on. At that no. point, you have to play him. I was excited when he put him on. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, here we go. We've got Sanchez. He's got a point to prove. He has a, a stage to do it. You yeah. know, he's going to be up for this. He's going to be ready. Complete opposite. Rubbish. This this is an example of a substitute not ready to go in the field. Right. This is a guy who's sulking because he's on the bench and he's sitting there and he, he's not watching the game. He's not ready to go. And he comes on and he, he's just caught flat. And... His effort was awful. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say. He's had a lot of bad performances in the red of Manchester United, but that might have been his worst when they needed him most. You're looking at a player with his experience. This guy's been at the top of soccer or football for, what, 10 years. He's won so many trophies with Chile. He's yeah. played for Barcelona. He's been magnificent. Come onto that field and give some of these lads with less experience than you some kind of inspiration. Do something. He was absolutely awful. He was like a guy who had played 15 times for the first team. It was it was an abysmal performance by him and he should be embarrassed. I watch him and think of him as, as, as an individual playing a team sport. I don't feel like he has any buy-in to collectively work with anybody else. It's like he gets the ball and I'm sure he's feeling the pressure and I'm sure he's feeling the anxiety from the crowd going, oh, okay, are you going to do anything? And he is almost trying too hard. And... Uh, but that's kind of what I thought of Pogba under Mourinho. But the moment that that went away, Pogba was just, he's been brilliant in these connections. Yeah. He had a tough game in this one, but he's bought in. 
Sanchez hasn't bought into anything. It's just it's just an individual. Like I said, it's just I just don't understand what he's trying to accomplish. He doesn't look happy. His body language is poor. His attitude, his fitness levels are off the charts. Bad. Yeah. I don't think he's anywhere near sharp as he should be either. Um, so genuine concerns for, for, for United with him. Well, we were worried about him, weren't we? Because he, he's played so much football mm. and we were always worried about that burnout. But I'm not seeing the effort from him either, KJ. So I think it's more than just burnout. I think it's more than just a guy who's put too many miles in the legs. I think this is a guy who's basically gave up at the moment. He, he's got that massive contract and he's just decided to down tools. There's something going on mentally with him there. Whether he can get the spark back in his career or he essentially retired the day that he signed that massive, massive contract for Manchester United. Yep. I don't know. He's got to look long and hard in a mirror and within himself. What does he want to achieve? Does he want to try and grab his career back? Maybe it's not at Manchester United, maybe it's somewhere else, but does he have more football to give? And uh, that only he can answer that. I cannot answer that. I never had a, a smitten of the talent of Alexis Sanchez. I wish I had, but what I did have was determination. I wanted to be uh, a guy who gave my all every single game I put on that shirt. I was proud to wear any shirt or any team that I ever played for. And we see a guy who's earning vast sums of money, which shouldn't really matter, but really it does matter because the guys that are watching them every week get nothing near that. So go out there and prove that you're you're worthy of that shirt. And he's not doing that at the moment. And I, I'm I'm shocked that I'm even saying this because if you if if I went back two years, KJ, never would have said that I never thought him. I would have been no. here about a player like him. No, the way that he right. used to work hard, the, yeah. the way that he was everywhere on the football field. I saw him play at, at Rogers Centre here in Toronto yeah, yeah. for Chile against Brazil. And it was an outstanding performance. He was everywhere. He was right back. He was left wing. He was centre mid. He was everywhere in a, a friendly match. Mm -hmm. uh, so... The, the guy's been brilliant, but he's nowhere near what he used to be. And he, only he can decide if he wants to get there again. The Energizer Bunny looks like he's lost his batteries, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Uh, and he's not got the attitude of Stephen Caldwell, who, by the way, just came here to the studio after playing a, night, a game tonight. I believe he drew, what, 2-2? Two, 2-2, two? Two, two. So yeah. He's come, he's, last-minute goal as last well. Last-minute goal? Yeah, I know. Wow. Anyway. I'm disappointed. I'm never But you still tonight. got the 2-2 two, two draw, and you're back in here doing this, this, this show on a, on a late night. So uh, Alexis Sanchez has got a lot to live up to. Before we move on to uh, the headlines with Shawnee, uh, let's touch on briefly Madrid versus Ajax. Not sure how much you saw this game if you were watching a lot of Spurs. I saw a ton and Ajax were tremendous. Great. Uh, a very, very good team to watch as usual. Took it to Madrid. Were marvellous from the start. The at the atmosphere inside the um, Johan Cruyff Arena was, was, was electric. Um, controversy with VAR right away with the goals chalked off the first time in Champions League history uh, when the uh, referee decided that Dusan Tadic was interfering slash offside. Very boring line but I think they got that right um, but again chalk Ajax down to get in line pick a ticket because all the verdicts are that so many times during the last five years is you outplay Madrid you do everything you can and you walk off the field and go how did we lose Juventus have done it Atletico Madrid have done it Bayern Munich have done it many teams have done it and Ajax have done it again because Madrid find a way to win they find a way to win and in the end they stole it in the end with a 2-1 victory it says everything about the club you just can't beat them can you they just hang in there they, they do what they have to do I watched extensive highlights of this game because I watched the, the other game live but uh, what I did see was uh, a historic first decision of VAR, an outstanding decision. Yep. I didn't even see it in the first one. What have they gave here? Like, he's not offside from the first elect header. That's right. 
But of course, there is obstruction on Courtois, and he is offside. Uh, you know, the second one, I can't remember who it was. Tadic. Yeah. Tadic, you're right. And uh, a brilliant decision, and that would never have happened. I mean, no assistant referee could ever have seen that. So that was terrific. But I felt for Ajax because you could see the pressure that they had, a couple of great attacks. Zayac had a brilliant chance, didn't yeah. he? Where Courtois made an outstanding save. And again, it's just. One of their big names coming up at the right time, a big moment. It was Courtois this time, who's had a little bit of a sticky yeah. start to he his had a real nightmare injury. on the VAR goal. Yes, he did. He did, well. in fairness, and he was he was trying to blame the, the guy in front of him who wasn't offside. And he That's was right. claiming he was offside, so there was a bit of confusion between the players. But the decision was right. Ajax were rampant. They needed to score. Madrid did their usual. They they hung in there. They were gritty. They were determined. <laughs> they didn't concede the goal. Um, and a word on Benzema. What a finish. What yeah. a player. He, he's took on the mantle, the, the, the goals, that the, the void of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. He's really took that on, hasn't he? He's had a, a terrific year. A uh, brilliant goal. Vinicius looked like he was terrific mm. as well. He had, he had a great part in that goal. A lovely little cushion header as well. And uh, the Goliath looks like it's going to march on. I'll be absolutely flabbergasted if they don't go through yeah, and they're in the quarters and nobody will want them, will they? Nobody will want them and don't bet against Real Madrid. It is their competition. Two quick things finally from this game. The goal you mentioned on Benzema, I love the build-up from it. If you go back and watch it, um, Tony Kroos plays the ball into Luka Modric in midfield and he feels the pressure from Donny van der Beek and he understands that only the, the best of midfield in the world could do this. He touches it with his chest, moves around with his right foot and then lays it off with his with basically the corner of his fit to send Reguilón away and then Reguilón plays the ball over Vinicius I thought was brilliant great ball great wasn't ball it? Vinicius touch. and then Vinicius' touch and then basically left you know the, the right back on the ground but he I love Vinicius because he, he, he dribbles with a lot of power he brings power to the game as well as obviously his speed as well and then the ball into Benzema to finish and my final thought on this is everyone's talking about Frankie de Jong and Mateus de Ligt as brilliant young players Donny van der Beek's a player yeah he's a player yeah, um, I think they've he got could, a few, haven't they? They've got a few. And I think terrific as well, terrific, yeah. yeah. But I think, um, yeah, De Ligt is going to go to Barcelona with De Jong, I think. Um, but uh, Donny van der Beek, I don't think, is the next David Klassen. I think he's better. So <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it'll prove out to be right because he was tremendous. Um, let's go over to uh, Sean Kane, Mauricio Pochettino's uh, biggest fan. There you go. Thanks, KJ. Um, let's get into the headlines. On Tuesday, Canadian Championship draw was announced. You have the draw right in front of you. I uh, just want to know uh, which matchup excites you the most, and is there any sort of new team that uh, that could make a bit of a cup run? Thanks for printing this out for us. <laughs> we kind of needed it. It was a bit convoluted. Um, they had a. We're going to get to this later. There's a press conference on on Monday. Uh, with the CSA had it. It would have been nice to have the draw there live. Yeah, that would have been a good idea. But uh, the draw has been done, and it's exciting. I know there's a lot of negativity about it, but uh, in the end, it's pretty clear now the pathway is there. Uh, we won't go through every game, but to answer your question, is there anything that excites you? I think. First of all, that came the, the the one thing that I I took from it was that Toronto FC not only have they got a bye to the semi final, but they don't have to play an MLS team now to the final. They've been extremely fortunate with the draw there. Um, I think Ottawa Fury, whoever they play in that um, in that quarter final round, should we call it? It says qualifying round three. It's a, basically a little bit of a quarter final. You know, whoever that could be, HFX Wanderers, Valor. That'll be a bit tasty because of the whole Ottawa, uh, Ottawa Fury yeah. controversy right now and then obviously being a bit bigger than the CPL. Um, yeah, it's it's good. It's good for the game. 
that these teams have got an opportunity to play these MLS teams. And, and we're going to get some games in that qualifying round three with the Whitecaps and Montreal separated, waiting for um, likely CPL opponents. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting, isn't it? It's, you know, it's the first time we have a, a legitimate Canadian championship. So I think that's the key. Uh, I like all these matches, KJ. I, I'm I'm very excited for Blainville against York 9. I think mm. that'll be interesting to see how Blainville get on. Obviously, they were in the competition last year, so maybe a little bit of experience will will set them up a bit better this time. They'll and, be up for it too, won't they? Oh, they'll be well up for it, you yeah. know, and, uh, and York 9 will have to be you know, careful for that because, uh, you know, they'll need to be prepared. Don't be dreaming for finals against TFC, York 9. You've just got to concentrate on that first match. No, and I'm, I'm also excited. I, I know the League One Ontario side, Vaughan are obviously going to play HFX Wanderers, that that should be pretty That'd cool be good, as well, yeah. you know. So uh, I'll be looking at all of these. I, I know we've, we've mentioned this in the previous podcast, but I, you know, I don't like the format of this draw. I think it's it's too heavily weighted for the uh, MLS sides, and especially TFC, who are just sitting there waiting on, uh, you know, a, a, a team below them in, mm-hmm. in, in terms of standards coming in at the, the semi-final. So I, I don't love that, and I, and I hope that. This is just the first year of this, and uh, and it gets changed because pains. yeah, I really do because the 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 excitement and the romanticism of this is to see Toronto, Vancouver, or Montreal play against one of the the new CPL franchises, or you know one of the uh, the Quebec side, or or, or obviously League One Ontario side, mm-hmm. something like that. that. That's why we love the FA Cup because we we know that any team from League Two or even outside the, the football league can come and play a Premier League team, and it makes it really exciting. Whereas like this, it's 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 really weighted uh, for the MLS sides to to kind of advance. So let's see, but uh, at least we have a legitimate Canadian Championship, and I can't wait for the games to get started. Speaking of growing pains, we had a lot of questions, and I know Ask AFP is going to be Whitecaps focused, but I wanted to get this question in for the rest of the group. If you guys could chat about Canada Soccer's decision to only allow Edmonton, Valor, and Forge to compete in the CONCACAF League berth based on home and away matches. Yeah, not a fan. Um, again, let's put it down to growing pains, I suppose. First of all, the, the CONCACAF League created a bit of a stir this week with the announcement. I do like the idea. I do think there's a lot of people in Canada who just discovered this this week. They weren't really quite sure about it before. There was some confusion, some people writing and some people saying that they automatically thought this was the CONCACAF Champions League, which it's not. It's a different tournament. Um I'll tell you why I don't like this. And obviously the reason that many people will think is because it's focused on three. The other thing I don't like about it is that for me, when the CPL starts and, and the games are starting for league play, I just want that to be the sole focus. I don't need to hear about, oh, well, Edmonton, Valor and Forge are in this three-team Mickey Mouse tournament between them going back and forth, home and away to see who can get. It takes it away. It should be concentrating only on the league play. That's what I don't like about it. And maybe there could have been a different way for them to do that. Maybe the Canada, maybe they could have come up with after you've played six games, whoever's top of the league goes to that spot. Different things like that. That's what I put would have come from. It's not an easy thing to do, but I just don't. In the first year of the league, I don't like any kind of distractions away from that league. That's that. That's my general thought on it. Yeah, uh, I'm with you, KJ, but. I feel for Canada soccer a little bit. They were in a difficult situation, but they came up with the wrong solution again. Uh, they, they should have did something like that. Should have cut off date, and whoever was top of the league was a representative. I would rather have seen them even just draw lots than than the way that they went about it because 
I just don't really agree with their, their, their favouritism towards the three sides and I know the reasons for it but I'm just not with it but they were in a sticky situation they needed a representative uh, and you are taken away from the league play because there's going to be this little competition within the competition and, and everything we're hearing from CPL was that this is going to be a, a sort of European style league it's all about winning the league every game's important which I loved and I was really excited yeah, about and all of a sudden we have this little three team tournament to be you know a, a CONCACAF Canadian representative in the CONCACAF league and I don't like it I don't understand it and I, th- I think it takes away from the league uh, We chatted earlier that uh, Stevie you were at the uh, uh, press conference for the CSA um, and on Monday John Herman stated that if they don't qualify for the 2022 World Cup that it's a failure Obviously, it is a failure if you don't qualify the World Cup, but it's just nice that you have a manager going out and saying that. Um, now, do we think they can make it? You want to go first, mate? Uh, it was bold from John Herdman. I was a little bit shocked to see him so so bullish about it uh, because obviously not been there for a long, long time. He has a young squad. There's definitely exciting signs from a number of his players and, and I love what John's building there and uh, the belief and the the uh, the camaraderie, all the things really important, even the tactics, the style of play that, that John's implementing is really, really encouraging and promising. But that was a, a, a sort of bullish statement from John Herdman. We're going to find out a lot this year. This is going to be, be critical to, to whether they can legitimately make it or not. I think when the Gold Cup comes around here, we're, we're going to see... Uh, a Canada side get tested in, in a number of games and we're going to find out if, if they're capable and if these young lads can step up some gears if we can find a sort of settled type 11 formation and, and way of playing that really suits this team I think the, the level of competition that they've had so far we can't know that yet like I say I, I'm not being negative I'm very excited about Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies and Liam Miller and Cavallini and Jonathan Azorio and Cornelius, I could go on and on KG, there's so many exciting young talent coming through Mm -hmm. uh, with the Canadian national team and and even at youth levels, but they've played nobody, so let's see how they get on this year, if they have a good Gold Cup then I think legitimately we can get excited about potentially playing at Qatar 2022 Yeah, amen to that, again we're on the same page, as analysts who are, you know, fortunately paid to watch the games and evaluate these games we have every right to say that. Of course. And I think John Herdman is not going to say that. And that's why I wasn't surprised to hear it, what he said on Monday, because knowing him, and I'm not pretending to know him well, but knowing him and having uh, been, been fortunate to interview him many times, John Herdman has gotten absolutely zero tolerance for negativity. Yeah. None. So he knew this question was going to be put to him. I put this question to him two or three times and I'm not, ne- I'm not having a go at John, but he's, he's dodged it a little bit in yeah. the past and when he first started, but he could easily have gone along the line and sung from the hymn sheet that I've taken this over. The plan is to try and make it to 2022. But if we don't get there, we know they're in 2026. So we're going to build to that. And that would have been the safe play. That would have been the play for him to try and almost guarantee to his employee, I'm going to be managing your team in 2026. This doesn't guarantee that. No. Because if things do go disastrously wrong, and I'm saying I'm not saying they are, but then he's going to be held accountable. And every credit for to put for any human being who puts themselves out there and people who put themselves out there and hold themselves accountable 
are, are do that because they're confident in their own abilities. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what walk of life you're talking about. They go out there and they're not hiding behind words or they're not hiding behind strategies. They believe in their own ability and the people who work for them, which is very important. He's in, he is trying to instill, instill, and from what I'm hearing from players, he's, it's accomplished, belief and buying in. And these players are buying in. They're buying into what he's saying right now. And if they're picking up the news that we're talking about now on Monday and they're hearing, my coach thinks we're going to make it to the 2022 World Cup. Do you imagine how that makes them feel? Yeah. He's only been with them a year. And suddenly he, he whether he believes it or not, and he, I don't think he would say it if he didn't, he thinks they're good enough to make the 2022 World Cup. Now, it's one thing for you and I to think, well, maybe not. No, no, they're nowhere near USA and Mexico and Panama have got some good players in Jamaica. We can go over because yeah. that's our job to do that. He believes they can make it. So why not come out and say it? You know, and not hide behind that message. And I think that's very, very commendable to do that. And I, I and I applaud him. And it's great as to hear finally some positive messages around a team that has been far too negative and far too moribund and sleepy for far too long in this country. Yeah, great point that, that he had that confidence to come out and, and be bold enough and one thing we know about John is he doesn't like confidence, does he? Right. He's a guy who believes in his process. He works extremely hard. He, he has ideas and it's not just kind of throw some names against the wall and come up with an 11 or or come up with a formation. He works extremely hard on on being very specific in, in, in every area of the game. So he's, he's seen enough of these guys that he believes he can be there. I agree with you. It's very important that, that he says that to give the players belief, to allow them to think that as well. But it's one thing saying it and it's another thing doing it. Mm -hmm. And and you hit the nail on the head by saying we as analysts have the right to say that because until we see them up against decent opposition, then we can't be sure. We can't know because, let's face it, pretty much anybody, any group of international players from Canada could have, could yeah. have won the games that they've played already. So 2019 is a critical year. This Gold Cup campaign is, is really, really important. I think they have to beat a so-called better team. Uh, uh, I'm not saying they go and beat the US or, or Mexico, but they, they, they certainly have to win a big game, in my Statement opinion. victory. Yeah. A Costa Rica, a Jamaica, uh, a Panama. Panama, one of the guys that you've just mentioned to say, okay, now we're, we're mixing with the big boys, you know, because let's remember, they don't have to beat Mexico in the US. They have to finish third to make the World Cup That's at right. the moment, probably. We don't know exactly what the qualifying is going to be, but that's the key. And, and I think until they do that, we can be sceptical. But I'm with him. He's got a talented bunch of players. I do like the process he's going through. And I'm really, really excited for not just the next two years or four years. I'm excited for the next five, eight, ten years because there's guys in behind these guys that are coming through. We're starting to see some production coming out of the MLS academies. This grassroots game is getting stronger and stronger. There's, there's better academies. There's a better structure. There's a better system. And one thing I took away from, from Monday's uh, Canada Soccer Strategy Plan was the unity between the different groups, something that I've never really felt since I came to Canada five and a half, six years ago from Canada Soccer. I see different departments working together. I see, uh, you know, a, a woman's national team coach and, and Kenneth Heiner-Muller who has worked with John Herdman who are on the same page. I see Jason DeVos sitting there with the player development and coaching development and I see a real togetherness, synergy and unity and it's exciting. You can't fake that either, no. by the way. That that, no. that, that that comes with work and that comes with t togetherness and it comes with trust and that's what yeah. they've got. 
Moving on to Toronto FC. Um, just looking for the latest on uh, Jonathan Menendez. The latest on Jonathan Menendez is this. I believe the deal is done. However, it is pending paperwork uh, slash visa. And hopefully over the next couple of days, we're taping this Wednesday night uh, into Thursday morning. Um, over the next couple of days, that more clarity will come um, from that signing, as will maybe two other signings to come soon as well. Um, but obviously, a couple of those have become very complicated, as you've read in the media over the last few weeks. One last TFC question, um, as we will be um, watching the TFC match on Tuesday and then immediately jumping into the podcast, but wondering what uh, what their chances are uh, in the Champions League this season. Um, I think that it's going to be difficult for them to continue to do what they did last year, only because I think that the motivation is... Isn't, it's it's still there, but clearly it's clear when you talk to them this year that they've understood the magnitude of how difficult that was last year and how much that compromised the league campaign. Having said that, having done some work on their opponents in the first round, there should be absolutely no doubt that they should beat these guys. They should beat Independiente of Panama and and, it, and they should go out there and beat them comfortably. Look, it's n I never would say anybody should beat anybody comfortably in your first match when you've not played for months, but they should be beating this team. And then after that, we'll see, depending on the draw. But it, it will be a very difficult campaign for, for them, I think. Yeah, it'll be extremely difficult. Uh, it's clear that they've lost confidence since this time last year. And uh, and maybe that real belief that, that this is the tournament, I, I think that that's fair to say. They should definitely be independent. I, I think they will. Uh, and then they're going to have a, a massive quarterfinal against Kansas City or Toluca from Liga MX. And, and that's going to be critical because... Whether they're prepared enough for that, whether they have enough quality, whether they've brought new signings in, there's there's a lot of variables there, but it's a massive game. And to me, it's going to be a tough game to win. Now, if they do win that game and they find someone and they find some kind of confidence and way of playing and, and, and quality that we've saw from this team in the past and they go through that, then of course they have a chance. You're into the semi-finals, you're rolling along. Confidence will be a lot greater than it is today or it was last season, but it's going to be a much tougher campaign. And I just wonder how much they're willing to give in this campaign, KJ. You know, last year we saw a team completely determined, almost single focus towards yep. winning this tournament. They, 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 they basically sacrificed or, or they felt they could coast through the early stages of the MLS season and, and still get to the playoffs. But basically sacrificed the early stages of the MLS to win CONCACAF Champions League and came up extremely short. Should have won it. Marky Delgado should have put the ball in the back of the net and they were penalty shootouts away from, from being the better side against Chivas, in my opinion, over two legs. They didn't win it. Everything else that came after that, the injuries... The, the lack of quality, the lack of form, I think has made them a little bit wary this time of putting that same amount of effort into this tournament. Uh, nothing against these guys. They still want to win it, but I think they'll just be holding back a little bit more than last year. Yeah, I agree with that final point. You remember that the, the first MLS Cup when they lost against Seattle, that negativity turned into a positive because they turned around, and, and many of the players have said this, the drive from them the moment they left the stadium that night with a singular focus to, to go out there and make sure they won it the year after was the, one of the reasons, determining factors why they did win it. I don't get that feeling that that is complete. They're not completely doing that now based on losing the final last year. couple quick European notes before we, uh, we move on. Um, after City's big win on Sunday, uh, the ESPN desk went out and, and unanimously said that they would 
prefer Raheem Sterling over Mo Salah. Um, not here to uh, go at the ESPN guys, but what do you think? You are, aren't you? Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, but what do you what do you guys think? Uh, Sterling or or Salah? Um, Mo Salah seven days a week plus Monday. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you, KG. Salah comfortably ahead of Sterling. I, yeah, I don't agree with that at all. Raheem Sterling is a wonderful player, and we love him. And we've talked very highly a lot on TSN and on this podcast. He's evolving into being a. Yeah. He's getting to a point where he's a, could be a world class player. No question about that. Um, but Mo Salah's a, a world class superstar, and he's he's proven it. He's he's a better finisher. He, he he's a better. He changes game. He he can play as a number nine more than the than you'll never play uh, Sterling. Mo Salah is playing at a level like Sergio Aguero. Yeah, uh, and that's that for me. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I don't know where they would get that from. I don't even know who those pundits are. I don't think I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great deal of difference between the two players, in my opinion, and uh, the output proves that. And uh, I think Sterling's having a wonderful year, and, and I think he still has age and time on his side, but it's not even a debate, Shawnee. I'm sorry. Good question, though. <laughs> um, one last one. Um, Hazard sort of uh, backed uh, Sorry at uh, Chelsea. He said he plays my philosophy of football. Um, is this Hazard just sort of backing Sorry as a friend, or is this somebody who will stay at Chelsea? Yeah, I wish I had more time for this um, because I think it's a, a fascinating one. We didn't talk too much about this game. We didn't talk about this game at all in the last podcast, mainly due down, down to timing and wanted to touch on some other things. But Chelsea have a decision to make. You know, they they brought in Maurizio Sarri based on the the backing of what he was able to accomplish at Napoli and what he was able to accomplish at Napoli got everybody around the world admiring it. And mainly because of what he was able to do after three years of work with the team, after three years of work with that team, they would become, they were maximizing everything they could possibly do, get out of them. And Chelsea want that Chelsea want that in five minutes. And Sarri came over with cautionary tales saying it's going to take some time. And in, they started really well. And the honeymoon period was there and they've since fallen away and it's turned into a, a, a they've, they've capitulated. It's a disaster right now. Um, so, but if Chelsea want to get to some point where they Napoli were, they need to be able to think about giving time and look at that and think, okay, you can't be losing games six nil and four nil. But at the same time, maybe that's a personnel issue and a mentality issue with the players. So to answer your question, my take on it before Stevie says is I would lean on what Hazard has to say. Um, because by the way, if you, if, if, you, if he's not happy, then Chelsea's problem is going to get even worse if he leaves the club. If they're a smart front office, they'll be talking to some of the players, the trustworthy ones, and they'll be they'll be assessing what they're hoping to achieve at Chelsea. <laughs> and unfortunately, the reason that there's so much pressure on, on, on Sarri is because history tells us that they change managers, they, they get immediate results, success, but they have no real plan to build and to go forward now the reason that Sarri was brought in like you said KJ was his brand of football the the the, the quality of the play now when we look at the players that, that, that Sarri managed that the squad that he, he built there and the players that he had what he was asking for and I, I'm going to just pick the front three so I'm going to talk about Insigne, Callihans, and Mertens sharp dynamic can play left centre or right can press the defenders, can really can interchange, can create that energy needed to stop the ball at source, getting into midfield areas where with a three midfield, you're a little bit vulnerable. And we've, we've saw in the Premier League that Jorginho doesn't really have the mobility to kind of cover gaps like some guys can and doesn't have the physical presence to, to do that job in the Premier League. 
doesn't mean he's a bad player in my opinion. It means that you've got to do a better job of making him look vulnerable. And then we go back to, let's just go switch to Chelsea now and think about their two defenders. Rudiger is an okay defender in my opinion and David Luiz is non-existent as a defender and Alonso's rubbish and Alonso's rubbish and Azpilicueta's you know out in an island there yeah. in, in the right back area and he, he, he's vulnerable and so you see a, a, a side who have a fr- never had a centre forward until two weeks ago right. when Higuain came in they have their outstanding players uh, Eden Hazard but he doesn't press he doesn't work hard no it's hard to play that way with a guy like him in the team. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch what they do. I, I can't wait to see this. I really hope, and I've said this in the past, the last two managers that were sacked, I've said, let them build. Players cannot run the show. It just can't happen. It's happened too long at Chelsea. Uh, it's coming from the top all the way down that it's been allowed to happen. Be bold this time. Give the guy a chance. Give him a you know a window with some proper money and let him go and get the the defenders that he needs and the forwards that he needs to play the way that he has. And trust in your recruitment process. Six seven months ago, when you brought him in to play that brand of football, don't just go away from it. You know, some talk about Frank Lampard. No disrespect to Frank. He's been in management five minutes, yeah. and they're going to give a job at Chelsea Football Club to a guy who's a legend as a player, but he needs to learn the ropes. He needs to learn what it takes to be a manager before you go and hand him a, you know, a billion pounds worth of player and, and, and ask him to go and win trophies. So give Sari the chance to do what you brought him in to do in the first place. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I hope you're right, but uh, I think they're going to sack him. Uh, and I don't think it's going to take long either, um, but I hope I'm wrong. Um, that is the end of headlines. Thanks, Shawnee. Time for the Whitecap side of things. We have been teasing this preview for some time. We've already previewed Montreal Impact and Toronto FC over recent weeks. Now it's time to preview the Vancouver Whitecaps. Recently, I had a very good chat with their head coach, Mark DeSantos, and here is that interview. Mark, uh, you've made it. You are a head coach of a major league soccer team. Um, how are you feeling about that? And how's the first few months been? Great. First few months, uh, a lot of work, a lot of rebuilding changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, reflecting back and, and looking at this, this opportunity, there's a lot of, I would say, moments that were important to bring me to this opportunity. Um, but yeah, excited, excited about the change, excited about the challenge, um, the rebuilding of bringing a new culture to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that has been great. You have been given almost a blank canvas with many of the personnel changes. Mm-hmm. I guess there are positives and, and maybe a few weaknesses to that in terms of yeah, things. For sure. Because sometimes we're in the process that we feel we're not an expansion team, but it, roster-wise, it looks like that. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, you have a, a core of players uh, that have that has been in the club, um, and you have a direction that is very, very clear uh, in the club of where we want to go. So we don't want to be um, a type of team that changes every year. Uh, we want to be. We want to build something that becomes solid, steady, and, and cons- consistent in a good way. And you mentioned some core players there. Who, who are those players for you that excite you to build this around? Um, I've never been the the type of coach that is going to build the team around around the player. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, if you have guys like Messi or Ronaldo, that's a different story. But 
it's not the reality of the majority of MLS teams. Um, but, you know, you have core players that have been in the club, like uh, Jake, uh, like Daniel, Brett, Felipe, Russell, uh, Jordi, all players that have been in the club already. Um, so now you have to bring other players that is, are not going to keep the same th level, but is gonna, are going to bring everybody uh, to a higher level. The theme in 2019 for Major League Soccer seems to be the continued rise of the league. Mm -hmm. um, and I think many coaches already have spoken about how the new coaches in the league, and um, particularly the outside influences coming from different leagues, Scalotto, De mm -hmm. Boer, many others, Almeida, mm -hmm. are, are giving them another challenge. Does that excite you to go against these guys? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that when you look at how the league was created, how it started, the type of players arriving in the league uh, in the past five, six years. Um, now, new type of coaches, new type of um, tactical ideas, uh, new type of principles in the game. Um, we're going to have to probably adapt tactically uh, in different type of ways. Uh, all of that is going to make the league better and more attractive for sure. And your team, the identity of your club, how would you see that? How, how do you want that to be this season? Oh, it's clear we want to be a team that is very aggressive without the ball, um, that knows exactly you know, the references and areas that we want to press. Um, every player being in the same page in the defensive organization part of the game. Um, then a team that is fast and, and vertical with the ball. Um, trying to go and to get to goal as fast as possible, uh, but also recognizing in the moments that um, those those moments are not on. Um, how do we build from there? Um, having a group of players that reacts very fast to the loss of possession, um, having a group of players that are very, keep a high level of concentration throughout the 90 minutes uh, tactically, and that is very demanding sometimes. Um, and it has to be worked in training. So I, I think that's going to be the base of what we want to build, what mm -hmm. the type of team we want to build, and then uh, bring the right profiles of players to, to build upon that. Mark, you are a student of the game. You've been all around the world watching games, watching players. How have you seen the game itself change over the last five, six, seven years, um, tactically, particularly in terms of the changes of the way the yeah, players play? It's a good question. We, we, we speak a lot sometimes about, you know, coaches from outside or coaches from inside. For me, there's, you know, in being in Brazil and being in the middle of a, a club like Palmeiras allowed me to, to be close to, to managers that are seen as top and big in the world. And, at the end of the day, it's, it's the game, it's the 90 minutes, it's uh, how you prepare your team um, to have 11 individuals or 25 in the roster that think in the same way uh, in the, the, the four different moments of the game. Uh, but what I've seen, a trend that I've seen uh, in the last years is I'm a firm believer of the transition moments. Um, when your team wins or loses possession, uh, what happens in the game. And I feel that the transition moments have become 
faster and faster throughout the years. You have teams that while they're attacking, they're already thinking defensively. And teams that while they're defending, they're already thinking offensively. They're already keeping some targets on the field for the moment where they win the ball, where the ball's going to go, or the moment where they lose the ball, what's going to happen with their team. And that th- those trends and these moments were not thought about that much as they are now, I feel, in the last few years. You look at the World Cup, you know, you think you get a group, like I remember, of course, following more Portugal, you get a group, uh, Morocco, Iran, it should be easy. And then to beat Iran, to beat Morocco, it's it's very, very difficult because teams are more and more organized defensively, have a better understanding of what their strengths are in transition. And that, I think, coaches that are going to be able to not understand it only, or not seeing it only, but being able to develop exercises and training mm. to 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 maximize those moments uh, could be ahead in the game. And is that is that why you think the base of the midfield, the defensive midfielder, so often now is seen as being the playmaker because he can make that clear exit pass to start transitions? When you think of someone like what Sarri is trying to bring at Chelsea right now with Jorginho, mm-hmm. there's a big discussion within the Chelsea hierarchy and the fan base right now whether it's a good thing or not. And then sometimes it's looked a little bit pedestrian, but he is resolute, he is adamant that that is the way that he is going to play. And he did, um, five, ten years ago, we would yeah. you would have had. A uh, strong defensive midfielder in there. Yeah. You would just want it. it was a stopper, but now you uh-huh. have a player. I believe in that too. I'm a big fan of Sadi and his ideas, um, uh, and and probably sees it with Jorginho. The, the not only the pass, the the, the ball that he recovers, and sometimes it's already a recovery with a first pass going forward. Uh, back then, you, you needed a tall, big, strong guy, ball winner, and everybody was happy. I, I don't see the game like that. I, I, I don't even see strength in soccer like that. We often talk about this player strong, that player strong. Uh, what does that mean? Mm. I remember watching a Libertadores game in Brazil in 2012. Um, I don't remember. It was Santos against a team that I can't remember now, but there's a diagonal ball played by Roca. To, to Neymar. Neymar before going to, to Barcelona, small, skinny. Mm. Um, and there's this big center back, huge. Like people would, would, would characterize that as strong center back. And in the first touch of Neymar, he comes inside and right away in his second touch, he goes out. So the defender turns and falls on the ground and Neymar goes to goal. So what's strength in soccer? What do we mean about when we talk about strength, speed? We have to really characterize that in the sport. And then it's the model of play and your ideas as a coach. Um, what is a defensive midfielder for you? What's the meaning of that number six? Sometimes we talk, oh, I'm looking for a six. What does that mean? You're looking for a six. I could give you 20 characteristics of different yeah. number six. In uh, in our way of seeing that number six, it's very specific. Um, I would tell you it's more similar to a Jorginho or in MLS more similar to Elias Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how we see a number six. Others, other coaches might see it in a different way, but mm-hmm. everybody has their own idea of the game. So let's get into 2019, Mark. Obviously, the blank canvas is there. You're still trying to recruit players, and, you, and your team will look very different the day one than it will do today. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the expectations that you're setting on, on this club for 2019? We want to make the playoffs. Uh, we want to be 
a team that is consistently in a playoff position. Um, what's that going to mean to Deck? And I, I'm not able, and it would not be fair uh, to say uh, for a second or, or, or send you a message of, uh, we want to win MLS Cup. Everybody says that. You know, every team wants to win MLS Cup. But if we look at basing on only result, we want to be a team that's always in the playoffs. Uh, so that's number one. Uh, and number two, we won in, in a year that is such a rebuild year. So many different players and new faces are going to be introduced to the fans. Uh, we want to make sure that the fans, uh, they, they, they see a team that has a clear idea of play. Um, a team that knows what to do on the field, that has a clear idea in the four moments of what they want to do. Uh, and we want to bring players that, that reflect that, that style that we want to play. In the league, and we talk about its evolution, we are seeing giants of MLS spend incredible amounts of mm -hmm. money. And other teams, maybe not so, and, and you've, your team has fallen in that category over the last couple of years. Yeah. Does that concern you at all, that the gap is getting bigger? Uh, no, because I, I think it's a theme that is very spoken in MLS. Uh, if you go to other countries in the world, Sassuolo in Italy, they're not crying that Juve signed Ronaldo. They just try to maximize their club to be the best possible. Uh, when Porto signs Herrera or Brahimi, you don't have Braga crying that they cannot sign Herrera. They say, we'll maximize. Braga is going to be Braga. Sassuolo is going to be Sassuolo. Um, I'm just giving you examples of this is the reality of sport in the world and the, uh, the soccer in the world. But in MLS, there's this tendency of speaking a lot about Oh, this club spends, this club doesn't spend. You know, I, I've never been a coach wherever I've been that focuses on how much we're spending. Uh, I focus on with what we have, how can I maximize the money we have to build the most competitive team possible? Mm -hmm. I think if me as a coach and my staff focus on that, we'll be able to turn a player that looks like 200,000 to a 800,000 player. That's what we want to do as coaches. And, and, and then see where it's going to bring the club. But uh, you won't have me focusing on how much Atlanta or LA or Gal are spending. That's not my problem. Final couple of questions. And again, thanks for your time. You're a Canadian mm -hmm. coaching in a great, great Canadian city. Is that, does, is that special? I'm very proud. Uh, and I'm not proud only for me. I'm proud for all the young Canadian coaches that have a dream, especially in, I think it's the most difficult time for a young coach to get in MLS mm. as a coach. Maybe 15 years ago, it was easier. Uh, now you have international coaches coming in. Many top names want to come in and, and try to get in and we're not able to get in. It's a, it's a league that has, has grown a lot. Um, it's getting better. Uh, so, so I'm proud to represent my country. I'm proud to represent the young Canadian coaches that have a dream one day to arrive and coach at this level. Um, and to be in Vancouver, it's, you know, what people don't get about Vancouver. And, um, sometimes people just look at, oh, MLS, Vancouver, why this is how much they spend and they stay stuck to that. Just, just come to, just come visit Vancouver once. You know, every year is in the top 10 cities in the world to live. 
you get out of your apartment, everything of the landscape is incredible. Um, look, I love it there, and I'm I'm proud of being their head coach. Well, it's great to have you back into Thank the you. MLS. Congratulations again, and we wish you much success, success for the 2019 season. Thanks. And thanks to Mark Dos Santos for that fascinating interview. It touches in lots of different areas. It's certainly good to speak to him about the different areas around the world and also his idea on things should be played. It is a special Whitecaps show. Hashtag Ask AFP, all on Whitecaps. Over to our producer, Shoney. Thanks, Christian. Um, we're going to go uh, fast and furious here. Um, Branco asks, uh, how does Huang Inbom... Uh, fit into the Whitecaps' plans for 2019. Is this the Branco who played for Brazil in the World Cup? Because he, <laughs> he was brilliant with that left foot. What a free kick, loved by the him. way. What a loved him. Was, wasn't he? I loved him because he won number six and played left back. Yeah. I just thought it was really cool. So cool. He was a tough guy as well, wasn't he? Tough, yeah. Uh, so, Branco, no, thanks for listening. Uh, it's great to have you. <laughs> um, how does Wang and Bomb fit into the Whitecaps' plans for 2019? Well, um, he wanted to go to Germany. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, um, for Whitecaps fans, he decided not to. Uh, maybe his agent decided not to. That's a story that came out recently as well. How does he fit into the plans? I, I think enormously. I think the amount of money that they spent on this guy, um, getting him is obviously in as a DP. The transfer fee is, is as reported, been very big for the Whitecaps to spend that amount of money. It was unprecedented, really, yeah. in this kind of area. Um, a, a young, exciting player who had a decent Asian Cup. Uh, so I, I expect him to not necessarily start the season on a on a on a high end, but this is a player that the Whitecaps have invested a lot of money, and now will need to invest a lot of time in, in building up that patience because he could be a game changer. Yeah, Whitecaps fans should be very excited to to see this young man in action. He, he had a very good Asia Cup, and he, he's well respected and well thought of by his, his national team coach Paulo Bento, who was obviously a Portuguese international, and he, he you know he played with and has came across some terrific players in his time. He says he's one of the most technically gifted players he's ever seen. He, he really likes this lad, so I'm excited to, to see how he does. Uh, very interesting reports that he really wanted to go to Germany. Mm. He felt like his future was in Europe. Agents got involved. It got a little bit messy with his his club in, in Korea. Uh, and he ended up in, in Vancouver. But that should be a positive. Hopefully he's there and he's settled enough to play some good football, whether that means, for his point of view, that he wants to play a couple of years in MLS and try and use it as a stepping stone or he ends up being you know a Whitecaps player for, for many, many years. Remains to be seen. Most important thing is that he gets to know the league really quickly. He comes in with no experience, but a ton of talent. Now, I, I, I'm not sure where he plays. I think he'll play in a more attacking area, but he has played different positions in the midfield cage, yeah. isn't he? He can play deep as well and, and sort of pass the ball from that area. But I think he'll probably play either side of a, a more robust holding midfielder and try and kind of get about the part and use that considerable quality of his to try and create opportunities for the Whitecaps forwards. Stephen Das would love to hear your thoughts about the new look Whitecaps backline and the goalkeepers. Well, certainly new look Whitecaps all across the field. Um, it, it's remarkable, actually, some of the changes that the amount of changes that they've made. I, I did some numbers on this. Um, did you know that almost seventy percent of the MLS minutes played last year by the Whitecaps are all gone? They're gone. Wow. Yeah. So the only players left who played any MLS minutes last year are Nowinski, Felipe, Reina, Tybert, Daniil Henry, Levi's, and Simon Colony played four minutes. Everybody else is gone. They've all gone. Um, so the new look defense, um, I'm excited about Godoy. 
Yeah. I think that that could be a really good signing for them. It's clear that um, as we listened to there with Mark DeSantos, he's got an idea about how he wants his defenders to play. I think they're going to need to be risk takers. I think we're going to see a little bit more of a higher line that we've seen in the past with the Whitecaps, with the defense. And um, Cornelius, I mean, we could go on Camiri as well. Cornelius, uh, all four, all three of them with Daniil Henry, there's going to be great competition for places. And I think that's going to be important for this squad. Yeah, it is going to be important. There's a number of new additions. I think in the early stages of the season, they're going to have to lean on on some of that experience, KJ. You can't bring in a whole new team. I, I think that's extremely risky. So I, I, I think maybe, you know, in the right back area, there's going to be a, a, a real fight between Scott Sutter and, and, and Jake Nowinski for the right back role maybe Sutter in the early stages or Norwinski's work in previous season gets him that but there's MLS experience there uh, and then probably Daniil I think uh, with Godoy Godoy's the the really interesting one isn't he he's played a lot of games in Argentina 25 years old a, a decent you know about 140 games in Argentina it's not too bad between two or three clubs but um, I'm looking forward to seeing him seeing what he brings a bit light in the left back role opportunity for Levi's to, to, to grab it and say this is my shot I'm going to keep it uh, and a little bit of a battle for goalkeeper isn't there between mm. the Canadian Max Crepeau and, and Zach McMath who's a ton of MLS experience bounced around a little bit been a little bit unfortunate a few times but uh, you know a, a, a battle there to see who's going to grab that number one shot yeah based on what they gave up you'd think McMath was the one 100,000k in Tam and Mosquito yeah. you know go to Colorado and, and Crapeau was basically like throwing 50 grand in Tam in a third round pick but Crapeau is a man that DeSantis knows well as had before and I know that thinks very highly of him so I wouldn't be surprised to see that become very very interesting as they go forward in a real big battle between the two of them the Conte touch asks which one signing will be the biggest part of the Whitecap season Wow, um, there's lots to choose from. <laughs> so um, we've touched on Wang. I, you know, I, I'm excited to see Arise in central midfield. Um, I talked there to Dos Santos in that interview about how he envisions the number six and he sees it very differently to some other managers, but it's clear that he's identified him. He's 32. You know, you, you know, you rarely get those kind of players coming over at this time to, at that age to be a to be um, a fringe player. He's he's identified him, I think, to be his deep his deep playmaker from those positions to be able to be able to you know force that forward. He's told me that Felipe isn't a six for him; he's more of an eight going forward. Okay. So I think Arise could be that kind of player that could really set the tone in midfield um, for them to try and play the ball the way that he wants them to play in, 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 that, in that kind of style on the ground. Yeah, it's going to be vital. That that guy's crucial normally in a Marta Santos team for starting the attack, sort of getting between the centre-halves, getting on the ball uh, and playing it forward. Arisi fits that mould, I think, better than anybody else. He, he comes in with good experience as well. And it's just, again, <laughs> we say this a lot of times when we're talking about the Whitecaps, whether he gets up and running with the mm-hmm. MLS really, really quickly. Um, when I look at the forward line, I'm pretty excited about all of them. Bangura, uh, Venuto in the wide areas. You know, they, they're quite pacey wingers, quite direct. Like to get the ball in the box. But I'm going to pick Ardez. I think that the young Uruguayans had a tough time in Europe, bounced around a little bit, needs to find himself in Vancouver. But if he does, he has the pedigree uh, at the youth level. Now he needs to uh, translate that to the professional game. But he looks like he's got a bit of pace, bit of power. And I think if he gets off to a good start and scores a couple of goals, he's probably going to have a battle in his hands if we, we believe the rumours that, that 
Montero's close to coming, but I I think he might suit a Mark DeSantos team better than Montero, and I think he might win that battle, and I'm excited to see how he can settle in and develop an MLS. Toby asks, what do you expect from Daniel Henry this season? Is he good enough to be an elite centre-back in this league? Um, Stevie's former teammate, I'll, I'll let him talk about what he believes he's going to be as a player. I'll say it is without question the biggest year in his career. Uh, if Daniel Henry is going to become a regular starter for a team in MLS, this is the year to do it. Needs to stay fit, needs to stay healthy and show the commanding skills that were so evident why he got his move to Europe in the first place. As we mentioned earlier, he is not a sure thing now when you bring in Godoy, Kamiri and Cornelius. There's clear competition there. Um, but as you, I'm sure, speak to, but having played in centre-back position with him as his partner, he does have a lot of things to like about. He has many parts of his game that, that are absolutely exceptional. He's just struggled to find consistency uh, on a regular basis, and uh, and that's been his Achilles heel. Now, that's came through, through injury, through uh, sloppy mistakes at the wrong times, through a lack of concentration, but when he's good, he's extremely good, and... and <laughs> He's a lad I've played a number of times with and, and, and I've a lot of uh, respect and I, I like him a ton as a player. As you know, KJ, we, we spent a lot of time with each other and, and spoke on and off camera. And I think Daniil Henry can be anything he wants to be. And I've said that since I first came here and I've saw a guy who's athletic, he's pretty good in the ball, he's dominant in the air, he's a good character. Um, injuries have derailed that a little bit. He can be a little bit fragile mentally and he's got to step up and he's got to lead. You look at these names and, and the new additions and everything that comes with this new look, Mark DeSantos, Vancouver Whitecaps, and he just jumps off the page to me. He's in a battle with three other guys for a starting role, but if he can win that battle and he can show leadership ability and, and, and attributes that are in him, consistently, I think this can be his year. And I've always been a massive fan of his. I'm definitely rooting for him because he was my teammate and, and we struck up a, a brilliant relationship in Toronto. We still stay pretty close to this day. And I, I just want everyone to see the best in Neil Henry regularly, week in, week out, because I know he's got so much potential, KG. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm hoping that he, he takes that on. He relishes the, the battle, the, the opportunity to go and say, I'm the dominant centre half of this team. I'm one of the leaders of this team and I'm going to take this new look 2.0 Vancouver Whitecaps into the future and, and drive them forward to consistent playoff appearances. Speaking of leadership, Dana asks, who will wear the armband for the Whitecaps this season? Yeah, wow. Um, probably I would think Felipe. I think he's done it a little bit in preseason. So um, may, uh, maybe lean on him. He's got that experience. He's already been there before. Um, I guess it'll, some of the others could step up. Some of the players we talked about, Arise, Godoy, who knows? But uh, I would guess for game one, that would be my guess, Felipe. Yeah, it's really hard one to pick uh, this one. I think that the armband will bounce around a little bit in terms of the, the match 11 uh, captain. I've got a feeling that they might give the kind of club captaincy to Russell Tiber. Um, and I think that it's because of that consistency of being in Vancouver for a number of years. But there's, there's no real standout to kind of wear that and own it out of this this group of players so maybe we see a Godoy one of the new guys who you know we, we, we can't really speak at length about his leadership attributes we've not seen enough of the guy but maybe he's a captain but when I look I'm with you KJ Felipe potentially he's wore it a number of times but 
I've got a feeling they're going to go for the Canadian Russell Tiber. I don't think he'll play every week, so that's why I'm saying the armband will bounce around. I don't think Felipe will play every week as well. Right. So, uh, you know, it'll be, be different captains, but club captain, which is sometimes... Andy Rose was captain, I think, I believe, in yeah. a couple of preseason games as well. I mean, so what do you... I don't know what you He's not going to play every week Club either. captain is more a kind of, you know, a, a sort of guy that knows the club. I think a Canadian... <laughs> Yeah. It's more like a kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, a, a, a sort of example for everybody. Yeah, position of stature. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it, it doesn't mean that you're you're kind of going to play every week like it used to when you you were a captain. Right. So that's why I'm I'm thinking Tybert. I might be wrong. Last question. Michael asks. Uh, it appears the Whitecaps are essentially starting from scratch again and rebuilding their team. How quickly do you think it'll take for them to integrate into a contender? I think it'll take some time. Um, and DeSantis has used the word rebuild um, for a reason. Look, it, it was clear that they need that they felt, and they being the Whitecaps management, felt the need for a clean slate. And I think that it's clear now that they have given the reins to DeSantis and the, the recruitment team to go out there and get a fresh group of players. And I actually think, and I've seen examples of this in the past, I think they might start really well. I, think, I wouldn't be surprised if they come out the gates right away and win two out of the first three games. And But, but then it, things continue, I think they could fall off the rails a little bit. But it's important that they're going to give him a lot of patience here. And they're going to have to go through the growth pains with this because it is a difficult, difficult conference. Not not as, as strong as it used to be. And maybe the Eastern Conference, is, well, it is. It is stronger now. But I still think that they they will need to give him some time. But at the same time, and Mark DeSantis has been at the forefront of this, knowing that it's still got to be a playoff team. You can't go through what you went through last year and lay down the gauntlet and say, this isn't good enough because we're not making the playoffs. And then go through a whole year of rebuilding and not give that fan base, a very good, passionate fan base, playoffs. Particularly when it's been extended to seven to seven teams. And I think that if Mark DeSantis, and he's admitted this, wouldn't get in the playoffs this year, then I think that would be a major, major disappointment and a failure. Uh, yeah, the word contenders <laughs> pretty controversial here for me because I, I think they're a long way off being con- a contender. I, I, I don't see any of these signings really being able to kind of run a game and, and sort of take a team to an MLS Cup, take this Vancouver team to an MLS Cup. So... Uh, can they make the playoffs? Of course they can. It's going to be very difficult. History tells us that, that y- y- you need to kind of know this league. You need to have some veteran MLS guys, and I don't see a bunch of them there in, in the roster. So I think it's going to be tough. But I, I, I think it's brave what they're trying to do. They could fall flat in their face. Uh, and, and then where do they go? Uh, they're obviously going to have to give the guy time because you can't expect them to gel together you know, 10, 15 names and, and players in, in such a short period of time. It just doesn't happen in the world. Well, it's it? either brave or it's madness, isn't it? And we're going to find out, in mm. fairness. And when when you go through such a radical change in roster uh, and, and, you know, and you get rid of MLS veterans, like I said, guys that, that have played in the league for a number of years, uh, 100, 200 games and you get rid of all of them and you just totally change a roster, a, a dressing room that was pretty settled under Carl Robinson. Of course, they wanted to go in another direction. That was very clear. And then you want to just absolutely cleanse his entire squad and bring in this whole new group of players and come up with a different style of play and you're bringing all the players in from all over the world, language issues, uh, they're going to get a shock when they, they get to the summer months and they're playing in the heat and they're travelling Difficult travel Vancouver have. They travel more than most teams yep. because of their location. So 
a number of uh, of problems that are going to come up here. And, and uh, like I said, it, it, it's either brave or, or madness from the hierarchy of the Vancouver Whitecaps to, to go in this direction. And uh, I've loved what Mark DeSantos has done so far. I love the way that he speaks. I think he's very positive and, and he's, he's very clear in what he wants to try and achieve. But it's not going to be easy and it's going to take some time. So the patience is going to come from the, the, the stands if, if they are going to... Uh, become successful and I'm not sure it's going to be in this year and if you are in the stands and again thanks for your questions and continue to send them in and listening to the podcast we really do appreciate it and as we said when we started this podcast we want to be interactive and hear from you all across Canada so hopefully White Cups fans you enjoyed that let us know on Twitter at our football pod um, a few reminders we will be back in studio Tuesday night next week after the long family weekend and for all the families out there enjoy your special time together after Toronto FC's Champions League match so look for the podcast Wednesday morning and also don't forget to head over to Twitter and follow a football pod and learn how you can win a Toronto FC kit. And also a reminder, on the 28th, we are live at the Rivoli downtown Toronto. Tickets still available, although selling fast from what we're hearing. Tickets still available. Go onto our website where there is a link for you to buy those tickets. Come join us, talk to us, tell some, we'll tell some stories, some special guests, and we'll be there live for you th- that, on that night as well. Yeah, because- it's going to be a brilliant night. Come out and we'll have some of our friends and guests there and a couple of beers. Well, I'll have a couple of beers and I'll probably have your beers as you well, KJ. So as after well, the right? show, of course. Uh, well, well, during the or show. During, one or two It'll be better That's if you fine. have them, so. yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Loosen up a bit, you know. Exactly, why not? You know, we talked about your attitude here. Alexis Sanchez is having many beers anyway. That's the end of the show. We can't batter him anymore. We've battered him enough. Get get your act together, Alexis, and uh, we'll see you all next time.